Hello again, it's good to see so many friendly faces all in one place. Hey, let's welcome our online guests. Can we do that? We're glad that you're there. Glad that you're tuning in today. Let us know where you're from. <clears throat> Let us know how you're doing out there, what other state you're listening in from. Hey, we're, um, we're going to wrap up the series, 116 Hours. Have you enjoyed all the pastors coming through here, the different speakers and teachers? And I did too, and it was really refreshing, and it gave us a sense of what God's doing around the world. I don't know about you, but it feels like it broadens your horizons just a bit, right? What God's doing in places like Papua New Guinea, and I can't name all the other countries that that guy mentioned, you know, a couple of the other week, you know, but what God's doing in our local community as well, and what God wants to do in our houses and our homes. And so today I want to talk about what God wants to do in your workplace, Raise your hand if you go to the workplace on a Monday morning. Some of your stay-at-home moms or dads understand that, you know. It, really? Only 30% of you work? This is interesting. I'm, so, I'm like in shock right now. I don't know if I can recover from this. Okay. Well, then I pray for jobs for more of you. <laughs> Help me. What is going on here? So I was, uh, I graduated from Bible school, I think it was the year 1997, if I'm not mistaken, 97 or 98, I know, I, I'm saying my age here just a little bit, but uh, I'm not as young as I look, no. thank you. But I, uh, all, of my, all of my Bible school friends went all over the, the U.S. and some, of course, abroad as well. And they were part of planting churches and launching churches, taking over youth pastor roles and associate pastor roles and getting launched into ministry. And God kept telling me to go back to Pennsylvania. I'm like, why? I left Pennsylvania. There's no reason to go back. <laughs> That's really what I thought. I thought it's from there to the world, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to stay on the adventure and I was really young in the Lord, but God had got other plans. I came back to Pennsylvania, just got involved in local ministry at my church, and I got a job to pay off my college debt. You're not smart, somebody? <laughs> Let's do that first before I gallivant around the world some more. That's in the season where I met Alicia. Hallelujah. Now it's unfolding why I'm back in Pennsylvania. And um, I got a job um, in, it was, it, was, it was called Precision Medical, <clears throat> and they were a startup company in a little town called Denver. Some of y'all are from Denver, right? It's not that far down the road. Not Denver, Colorado, Denver, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, and I was a machine operator. They were making medical products and needles and things used for eye surgery and all kinds of products used for government and things like that. There was a lot of contracts floating in. And so I got really busy machine operator, and then I became a maintenance person for a while. And then they asked me to supervise second shift. And then I launched into a career which really felt like a, more of a leadership career. And they gave me eight people to start. And me and that eight people spent the next whole year working second shift, you know, two two o'clock in the afternoon or three, whatever it was, you know, to about 11 at night. Overtime was two hours after that. I'd be driving home like, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning, right? And, and it was during that time. And I was just, it was just a job to me, honestly. I needed money. I needed to pay off my bills. I wanted to get a better car and all that happened. And I was blessed. But it's during that season when I was mulling over, wait a minute, I'm called to ministry. I know I went to Bible school. I didn't just give up two years of my life for this is what I thought. And I was like, all my friends, you know, when I'm t keeping up with them on the phone, they're in, all the way from Connecticut to Florida and everywhere else. They're talking about how God is moving in these various places. And I'm, I'm busy machine operating, making needles. <laughs> Bored out of my skull, quite frankly. And it was in that season where God started whispering to me something like this. He says, can you pastor these people? I made you a pastor. Now, can you start by pastoring these people? I'm like, these people don't want pastoring. <laughs> these people don't want shepherding. And then he said, I'm going to teach you that they do want it. They just don't know what they need and know what they want. But can you start by shepherding these people that I put in front of you? Now I didn't just uh, remain a leader, a second shift leader. I became something else altogether. As God started putting something in my heart, somebody say shift. There was a shift in my spirit, which made its way to my brain. Come on, somebody. That I went into work now as a mission field. And there was moments in prayer where I called them, I called them your people, God. Now, you know, let's not get this wrong. They're God's creation. Everyone is God's creation. Come on. Even the people that don't know it 
are still God's creation doesn't mean they become sons and daughters of the Most High God because they haven't said yes to Jesus Christ. You, can you distinguish? But all of God's people, all people are God's created beings. And they're, they're created for him. They're created to worship. Some people just reject that and don't know it, okay? So, so but start to look at them with the eyes of the Father. I mean, it was in that season where I felt like a shepherd out in the marketplace. And I, that, that, that journey there lasted for nine years. I went to two other companies in, in various production uh, in a pr- production management career. They sent me back to school for some more schooling. But the whole time, I felt like, I'm in the mission field, I'm in the mission field, I'm in the mission field, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. And then there was, a, there was a season there where I worked around the clock because we had government contracts that just would not quit. And that's a longer story for some other time. But it included even weekends, then Saturdays and Sundays until I nearly burned myself out. But um, anyway, God shifted me there for a while. But then these verses started coming to mind. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Somebody say, as for the Lord. Not for men. Yeah, you do work for men, but it's for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive the inheritance as your reward. God has an inheritance for those people that do it as unto the Lord. And it finishes that verse by saying, You are serving the Lord Christ. Oh, I thought I was making money to pay my bills. I thought that I was just doing enough to get by so I could get home to my favorite TV show. I thought that I was just trying to get a new car. And God says, nope, you're actually on the mission field. I have a broader purpose for you here than just making money and making widgets. Come on, somebody. I don't care who you are, especially if you're in the Lord. Making widgets and providing services gets awfully boring. And the room just got really quiet. I got not a single amen. Now, some of you really love your job. Don't get me wrong. I did too. There was parts of it that were really exciting. But it gets old until you see the broader purpose of what God is doing. I actually believe the marketplace is one of the greatest places for kingdom impact that there, that there exists. There's the various, the, we, some, some people call them mountains of influence, you know, like media, of course, church, and of course, the, the marketplace and the, the school districts and all that. We can talk about all the, the places that God wants to impact. I believe the marketplace is one of the, sometimes the most untapped, quite frankly, places of ministry. Why? Because too many people go to work and they don't view it as the mission field. The average person will spend about 90,000 hours at work over a lifetime, which is about 60 to 70% of our time. Yet more than 70% of workers in America say they don't feel satisfied with their current job, according to a very recent report. 70%. 70%. That's potentially in a room this size or those people watching online. That's at least 100 or more people right here in this room or watching online um, that are unhappy or dissatisfied with their career right now or their current work situation. And it's not always your fault. I'm just saying that's the truth. It's time to pivot. Somebody say pivot. And what I mean by pivoting is this, to get God's perspective and to see that the mission field is all around us then most of you go there five or more days a week. And we only have you here for what? Three hours, according to the video. That includes your driving time. You're not here that long. The rest of the time, you're on the mission field, right? And even if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, that is still your place of ministry. And you're not just there providing food and changing diapers. You're actually in the ministry field there too. I just want to pause and acknowledge you. Not, not everybody goes to a secular job. But that, those were some difficult years as well, right, Alicia? <laughs> Alicia was home with the kids. Sometimes her days were harder than mine. Come on, somebody. Isaiah 60 says this, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, Isaiah was prophesying, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Somebody say me. He's prophesying to us that even though the world can be dark and there's toxic places to work, man, I've been in a lot of them, and there's toxic leadership out there, but even if it isn't, there's some people that y'all have to work with that just aren't fun working with. People carry all kinds of stuff, and if they don't know the Lord, some people carry demons, or some people just carry the spirit of the age, and they're just not fun to work with. He says, but the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you into a place today uh, by the Holy Spirit where you don't shrink back, that you actually know that you carry something that is greater but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I don't care what workplace we're talking about. I don't care if it's in government, if it's in schools, if it's in the food industry. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that is always a truth if you're in Christ Jesus. Matthew 5.13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. So he's encouraging us to, to stay salty, right? To stay effective. That means to stay people of very high influence, in a crazy world that we live in. If you take all of that out, you take God out of all these places. You take the kindness out. You take the love of Christ out of those places. You take all the fruits of the Spirit. By the way, our next series is going to be, we're going to dive further into various fruits of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call it fruit salad. That's our next series. So come next Sunday. I'm going to unpack that. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be deeper than you think. Um, okay. Anyway, slight deviation. But if you take all of that out, what do people, what's left to experience? The spirit of the age. That's all that's left, right? People's ups and downs and the flesh. Well, we're not called to be spiritual segregationists. Come on, somebody. There's some cultures who believe that. Um, they build a commune and all live together. And I don't want to talk to the outside world. <laughs> take over a village and... <clears throat> and never see the outside world. Removing ourselves from everything secular is not God's will. Living separate from the world in every way is not God's will. The wall between sacred and secular did not exist for Jesus. Think about that. He was the same in the synagogue as he was in the marketplace, and he was never hindered by where he was. Except the one time he went back to his hometown, he said, I came to many miracles among you because of unbelief. That's the only place I saw Jesus in, in the sense of shrink back, but it was because of unbelief. But he did not have a distinguishing between I'm right here in the marketplace or I'm in the town square or I'm in, in a church building called the synagogue. He cast out demons and healed the sick wherever he went. He didn't distinguish between sacred and secular like we do. We have a Sunday go-to-meeting mentality that's different sometimes from a Monday morning go-to-work mentality. Come on, am I the only one? I did that, and God had to deliver me from that. I'm telling you, it should not exist. We're called to be salt and light in a dark world. John 17, starting at 15, says this, I do not ask that you take him out of the world. Well, Jesus is praying for us. Shucks, I kind of wanted something different. <laughs> I did not ask that you take them out of the world, he's praying to his father, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Come on, our citizenship is in heaven, right? That's true. But we're here on the earth right now. Sanctify them in your truth, he prays. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. That's us. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. That word means set apart in truth. Somebody say sanctified. And so there's a mandate from God that I believe um, is to be integrated in our secular culture, yet remain untainted. Jesus did it, and he's saying, as I am, so are you on this earth. Come on, there's another scripture for you. We're to be effective and impactful, but not overtaken. I'm going to add schools to this. It just dawned on me that I didn't mention schools. That's your job right now. Some of you are in here that are still in school, whether it's college or high school or middle school. We've got middle schoolers in here. That is your job right now. I know, you, I know you're forced to go. The government will come, come get you. <laughs> but we have to go to work, too, or we won't eat, right? And so it often feels forced. But that is your job right now. And you could look at it the same way. These verses still apply to you. Amen, young man. You look like you're in middle school or high school. I'm going to say high school. You look older. Sorry. I don't mean to point you out, but God's anointed you, young man. I don't know your name. I forgot to ask it, but God's anointed you to thrive and not just survive. You receive that word right now? Thrive and not just survive in school and in the workplace and everywhere that you go, even, come on, even in an anti-Christian society, even a godless society. They did it in, in scripture all, all through Bible times, and we need to still do it today. I want to look at two people in the Bible. 
The first one is Joseph in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph, and then I want to switch to how Jesus functioned in the, in the New Testament. First, let's look at Joseph. So here's a, a quick synopsis of his life. It'd be impossible to tell the whole story of Joseph, so I'm going to summarize part of it and then pick up on some verses. Starting at Genesis 37, we see the story of Joseph unfolding. He was given uh, prophetic and futuristic dreams from God. His brothers hated him. There's a lot of jealousy after that, and they sold him into slavery. He, he was taken then to Egypt to work as a slave in Potiphar's house. For two years, he was there. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh. He was the, uh, the captain of the guard. Um, Potiphar was the captain of the guard. Uh, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, right? And Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her, and then Joe was thrown in prison for approximately 11 years. Take a deep breath. That's a long time to be in prison for something that you didn't do. While in prison, he interprets dreams for Pharaoh's chief butler and baker, who for some reason were thrown in there temporarily as well. He got on the wrong side of the king. He eventually remembered, but he was he he he's eventually remembered by the butler when Pharaoh himself had a dream, which was years later. And the butler said to Pharaoh, I know a man who can tell you what your dreams mean. In other words, this guy can hear from God, God of Israel. They brought Joe out of prison. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams about a famine coming to the land. Pharaoh makes him second in command of all the land of Egypt. Joe helped store grain for the coming famine because that's what the dreams were about. He saved the people from starvation and also saved his father and his brothers and his entire family from certain starvation. He preserved the lineage of the Israelites and ultimately the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, right? And I want to pick it up the story in Genesis 39 too. And we're going to get some principles from this. It says this, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, what I just read to you doesn't look like the Lord was with Joseph. It does say that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Somebody say successful. And he was in the house of his Egyptian Master, now I'm gonna pause right there and say, I've heard it many times. Come on, I was a production manager, so I heard it all. Um, what's this slavery that I have to come to every Monday? Like, I could find someone else that wants your job if that's, how, if that's your viewpoint. I'm really sorry that you feel that way. But then I had to pause again. There's times when I felt that way. Oh, it, it just feels like if I don't do this, obviously I can't pay my bills, but I really don't wanna be here, so it ends up feeling like slavery. We're obviously. We're all free Americans, but yet there, there's this moment where you're like, I feel stuck, and I feel like this is slavery, something. None of you want to admit it this morning. That's okay. I see where you're at. Holier than thou. <laughs> Y'all looking at me, I can't believe my pastor felt that way. You're too holy for me, honestly. Genesis 39, 6 says this. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. We're talking about the prison keeper. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, God made him successful while he was being kept in prison. And, he, and, uh, and the prison keeper, actually, Potiphar, put him in charge of all this. Even while he himself was still a prisoner. Genesis 39, I want to start at 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Somebody say favor. In the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Because by that time, you know, uh, he was in Potiphar's house, got accused of slavery, right? Then he's thrown in, in prison while he was there 11 years. Now the prison keeper's going, wow, this guy's amazing. Even though he was a, a slave in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. He is uh, 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 he's actually a prisoner in prison and the Lord was still with him. And this is, this is strange to us because it's like if bad things happen to us, it's almost sometimes impossible for us to see that this is something God is doing in us. And the Lord is with us. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge now of all the prisoners who were in the prison. <clears throat> he was the chief prisoner. <laughs> Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. That's what kind of guy he was. Because the Lord was with him. And whenever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Somebody say, wow. <laughs> Y'all don't want to say amen, so just say wow. Or if you're in the mood, say mm. <laughs> Let's look at Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus in the New Testament a little bit. And I want, to, I want to talk about some principles just to glean for our culture today. I think Jesus had a unique ability to spend time with sinners 
without actually indulging in sin himself. He remained the sinless one, as we talked about in communion, yet he had no problem being around sinners and he never shrunk back from that. Well, how many Christians do you know who are like, oh man, I can't believe I gotta work in these godless place. I can't believe I gotta get on this airplane with all these demons and stuff like Stuff like that, you know, as if to say we're going to be tainted because of someone else's demons. Jesus never had that mentality. He was like, they're going to be tainted by my holiness. It was a really different, different mentality. And so he would spend time with sinners, but he never became one. He fully loved the person without condoning their behavior. And that's something that this culture needs to relearn. I don't have to agree with everything that you do while I still affirm who you are in God or who you were created to be. Amen, somebody? I know. Our culture's gotten a little whack. It's saying if you, don't, if you don't actually agree and actually condone and even celebrate everything that I do, even if it's against biblical principles, then you hate me. No, I don't hate you. Jesus didn't hate these people either. He didn't agree with them. Matter of fact, when he spent time with them, you see they started to change. They changed. They got delivered. They got healed. They got restored and they repented. Come on, how about Zacchaeus and the woman at the well? And the list goes on and on and on. He didn't shrink back. Jesus didn't become a sinner to reach sinners and neither do we, right? He never became a prostitute to rescue prostitutes. How about that? You know, we're not supposed to indulge in the sin of the world and we never have to as Christians. We become too culturally relevant. Come on, somebody. That we have to start acting like the world to think that that's how we reach the world. We've already lost the world. It's just not how Jesus functioned. It's not how we're supposed to function either. <clears throat> Let me read Mark 2. This is just one example where we see Jesus just relaxing like this as he was reclined. <laughs> Somebody say reclined. He was just comfortable in this environment. He's like, I'm in a house full of sinners and I'm reclining. He reclined at the table, as was their practice, by the way. And there's many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And the scribes, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The tax, letter, the tax collectors, by the way, were very wicked people. They were usually liars, and they would charge more than what was necessary, which is why they were known as evil people. Um, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus was just saying, this is why I came, and this is where I belong. I had a friend in Bible school that um, he actually moved places on purpose. I think he moved home with his mom and dad for a while, but then he said, no, I want to, he moved into a certain part of the city. I think he was from Oregon, this, this, this friend of mine. And I'm like, why, why would you do that? You know, waste all that money, right? <laughs> but he said, he said, I do not believe that God wants all the lights in one place. That doesn't make any sense, like a cluster of lights. What point is that? He's like, God is sending a light into a dark world. And he's like, I'm done being clustered. <laughs> there's, enough, there's enough light around here to, 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 to shine brilliantly. God wants me to shine a light where there is no light. And I think Jesus had that very mentality where he was like, this is where I belong. The light isn't needed where there already is light. Come on, somebody. We're enjoying the Lord and we understand his, the gospel. We understand. But then we're sent into places that actually need it and we're willing to go there. Amen, somebody. Well, here's my call to action for today. Um, and and this, is, this is how I want to set up these next few calls to action. And I think I have just six quick points to share before I... Um, before I get to some time of prayer. <clears throat> but we need to first learn to live the gospel before we preach the gospel. I forget who it was who said I should have looked it up. He's like, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and sometimes use words. I think that might have been Spurgeon, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I forget who it was. I should have looked that up. But I, I just remember that. And so, and so especially in the secular workplace and especially in our places of, of career, it's very, very, very important that we live the gospel and are seen first as living it out before we say, hey, you want to come to Grace Church? They're looking at you going, with you? Um, no. Or they'll be like, I was wondering why you're so different. 
that makes sense now, right? Because they can see something. Come on, somebody. That's how, that's how you live the gospel. Live the gospel before you preach the gospel, starting at Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, my simple experience in the workplace is I did preach the gospel many, many times. But first and foremost, they actually saw something in me because of how I treated people. And God had to really work on my heart to, you know, patience, long-suffering, come on, all that kind of stuff, love, some unlovable people. There are some people who just, you know, didn't see, especially in the morning. You greet these people at six in the morning, they're ready to clobber you. I'm walking around my cup of coffee. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you. Like, oh my gosh, here he comes again. What's wrong with this dude? I'm like... I don't know. I'm just choosing to be nice. Is that okay with you? By the time I left there, not a single person uh, didn't, didn't say good morning to me. You know, they just, uh, we just changed the culture. But first, they have to see something. I know Pastor Ray talked about this, and I don't want to talk about it that much longer, but it starts by loving people. Number one is love people. Um, and Pastor Ray did a great job. If you want to listen back to that the other Sunday it was, a, it was a great message that love is still our greatest weapon. But the first key to thriving, especially in a secular culture, is to genuinely love people, right? You cannot expect, I cannot expect you to make a positive impact in your workplace if you don't generally love people. Now, I know there's tough moments, but you got to love the people. If you don't, we're already out of alignment with God. God so loved. And then we go, eh, I'm not a people person. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that. Get healing. <laughs> we'll pray for you, Alicia and I. <laughs> now, I understand what some people are saying. They're various personalities. So I get that. I understand that. But genuinely, if we're in alignment with God, we will love what he loves. We will hate what he hates. And we will learn to embrace what he embraces. Amen. God so loved the world. And it wasn't the earth, Mother Earth. It was the world, meaning the people. If you translate that well, it's the people on the earth that he actually died for. Come on, somebody. Everything we do is either for ourselves or for others, meaning you're making a widget, you're making a gadget, you're providing a service. It's typically for a person. You're actually, what you're doing is to enhance someone's life, right? And if you do it with, eh, you know, I, I, I just can't wait till the buzzer rings at three o'clock till I'm out of here or the five o'clock, you know, or like, oh man, lunch can't come soon enough. Or you do it with like, what I'm doing right now is for to bless someone, whether I'm making chocolates, come on somebody, I love Godiva chocolates. Uh, or, that's not, they don't get that right. It's not Godiva, is it? It's Palmer. I'm so sorry. Palmer chocolates, everyone. Sorry, ditch the Godiva and ditch Hershey's. We're in Palmer land now. <laughs> we used to be in Hershey land. So I'm sorry, no Hershey kisses around here. We're in Palmer chocolate world. But if you're a nurse, if you're a school teacher, you know, come on, you're in construction. The, the list is endless, right? You are there because you are actually, to, to, you're actually blessing another person with the excellence of your product or your service. Come on, somebody. Are you connecting a little bit? If you do not love what God loves or care about what God cares about, which includes other people, I want to I tell you this. You will not totally feel fulfilled as a Christian person in your life. You might feel fulfilled in your career and you might make a lot of money, but you cannot feel fulfilled in your heart and in your spirit if you're actually not also looking at it like the calling that is on your life and not actually connecting with God's will for your life in that place. I'm telling you, it brings a sense of unfulfillment when you don't connect with God's higher calling. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and then I'll move on. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, Paul writes, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm freaking irritating <laughs> to everyone around me if I'm lacking love because what I'm doing in my leadership, if it's to my coworkers or, if I, or to my boss, there's something irritating about us when we aren't walking in love. And we become that noisy gong and a clanging cymbal that just irritates everyone's ears. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, thank God for those gifts, but I don't have love, says I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned sacrificially, but I still don't have love, I still don't have what God wants me to have. I have nothing. Without a genuine love for people, we're often viewed as disingenuous, hypocritical, 
judgmental, or unkind. And those are all words that unbelievers and atheists have called Christians over the years, have labeled us as such. We become far less effective. And I think one of the main reasons is because we lack that genuine love. Again, it's not agreement with them. It's simply, I love you because you're God's creation. Can we pause right there and say, Lord Jesus, empower me, fill me with your love. It's, you receive it by grace, amen. Number two, number two, okay, now we're gonna get somewhere. Number two, serve your leaders. Ooh, you mean my crazy boss that I have to work with? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that guy too, or her. Romans 13, one and five, and I'm gonna balance this, so hang in there and take a deep breath. I'm gonna balance scripture versus scripture so we get a full gospel. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. I know, take a deep breath. This is tough for some of y'all. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And yes, that's in the New Testament, y'all. Come on. Sounds a little bit like when you talk about God's wrath, people go, I can't be New Testament theology. No, there's something that comes on us when we dishonor the leadership that is in place. Now, I'm going to balance that with this other scripture, and then I'll bring it, bring it full circle. Acts 4.18, there's a place where Paul says this. So they, they called them, because Paul was preaching the gospel right and left, and, and, and they didn't want him to. And so the authorities got together, and so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John were like, nah, I'm not going to obey authority. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here, here it is. Serve, honor, obey, submit in humility, unless they're asking you to disobey God, who is your higher authority. Does that make sense, somebody? And so, and so there comes a time when we cannot obey the authorities that are in our lives. If they're abusive in some way, you know, it's time to get out, right? And if they're telling us to do something which is against scripture, that is unbiblical, like lie to customers, for example, then it's time for us to say, I honor you, but I cannot do what you're asking me to do. Um, and I had to make a decision at, at the last job I had before I launched into pastoral ministry. The boss, the boss actually received this job because he was working part-time sales as well, one of my bosses anyway. And, um, there was like three bosses at that company, so talk about a land of confusion. <laughs> Somebody take a deep breath. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, geez, tell me about it. I don't know who to listen to day to day. Well, one of them took this, this really great job that they wanted, uh, wanted us to get out, and they wanted you know, this customer to be first and foremost on the list. And, and I'm, on, I'm the production manager, so I'm on the phone promising all these things to customers, and I'm giving them due dates so they can plan the rest of their production out you know, and make sure their employees all have the right kind of work. And I said, this would be done today. This is what I'm projecting. And he comes and says, nope, we're going we're gonna to stop all that, and we're going to switch to this. This is one of my favorite customers, and we're going to make more money doing this. And I said, what do you want me to tell these guys? He said, he said tell them that we had machine problems. Tell them that we had machines break down and we just can't get there. I'm like, well, that isn't true. He's like, well, tell them something. I don't care. You know, and, he, and he walks away. And later I told him, this is probably where we got close to the end of my employment there. I said, I really can't stay working for you and stay ethical. It's impossible. Now, I'm thinking about these customers that I'm on the phone with, and I'm getting to know really well. If there comes an opportunity for me to preach the gospel, I cannot in good faith declare Jesus Christ to him, having lied over the phone to him. That's impossible for me. Maybe y'all can do that. I can't. And you shouldn't be able to do it if you can do it. Because there's a time when you have a higher calling that is on your life. And I said, I'm sorry, I just really can't do that. And... Um, I was a little honest with the customer, probably too honest. And I said, look, we've had a lot of ups and downs here and things are being shaken up. I'm really sorry that I promised something I can't deliver on. I have to listen to my boss and we have to pivot and do this other thing. I didn't see it coming. He was irate, but he, was, he understood. He was okay. And I just sort of tried to smooth it over. I sounded wishy-washy. I'm telling you, I sounded so wishy-washy. But I didn't lie to him. Does that make sense? If you have a lying spirit, 
Don't preach the gospel. Do not condone abusive leadership. I do not condone abusive leadership. I just want to get that out there. Uh, get out if there's any way. We'll pray for you for a new job if that's the case. But serve, honor, obey, and submit in humility to the leaders that are in your life. Man, sometimes I would hire people right and left. I was hiring, hiring, hiring. Everybody I could get my hands on there for a while. I was like, do you need a job? Good, you're a warm body. Come on, stand at this machine and watch it work. You know, you know? <laughs> and so all that I wanted, all that I wanted when I was a production manager is somebody to say yes. I'm going to do that and do it with excellence. Come on, Mr. Vern. And that, that's, that's actually just what I wanted, right? And so when you see people going, yeah, but I'm, you know, I think that I'm going to do my own thing, especially for believers. Y'all are there to do your own thing. Y'all are there to do their thing. And then in the midst of it, because Joseph, Joseph served the Lord while he honored his bosses and he stood out. He stood out like a, like a sore thumb. <clears throat> Number three, so number one is, of course, we need love. Number two is serve your leaders. Number three, serve your employees. Somebody say employees. Now, this is often to owners and managers and leaders and those of you who have employees, but I want to talk to you for a little bit. There's scriptural principles for you. And just in case you haven't seen them yet, Colossians 4.1 is one of them. Masters, treat your bond servants. Uh, bond servants are those that are in your employment. Treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God is your master, right? Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And I really think that applies to us. If you were an employee, which you probably still are, but you might still be a manager, leader, or a business owner, how would you like to be treated? Well, then treat your employees that way. Come on, somebody. Am I preaching the gospel or not? 1 Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Wow. It says pay them well. I think that that's how I'm interpreting that. Uh, double their pay. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It says treat them justly and fairly, but pay them well. Treat your employees fairly, justly, and as you would like to be treated and, and pay them on time. Come on, somebody. And so there's a, there's, there's a way that if you're a business owner and a Christian and saying that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do your employees know that without you saying it because of your actions? Do they see your good works and they start to glorify your father in heaven by saying, I applaud my leader and I'm not sure what's up with him. He seems a little different than some of the other toxic workplaces I'm in, but working for him feels like something. It looks like something. I'm always paid on time. I'm paid generally well. There's decent benefits, but they treat me like a human being Man, they give me a break now and then, but there's, man, this one boss told me he was praying for me. What kind of dude does that? And they see something and they, they're watching you very, very carefully. And they know, they know within one week of working for you, whether you're a man of God or a woman of God or not. They might not know what to call it. They don't know how to label you, but they can feel something. Do they see your good works and they start to glorify? And then I'm going to end with a story. I can't wait to get there. But then what I'm saying is that makes, makes fish jump right into the boat. Live the gospel before you preach the gospel. Okay, let's move on to number four. Serve your clients and coworkers. Everybody has clients and everybody has uh, customers, if you want to call them that, clients. And also everybody has coworkers. Not everybody. Some of y'all work at home now. And so you hardly have coworkers. And so our culture has really shifted. Some of you do work alone and that's okay. But it's often coworkers and often customers to serve. Leviticus 25, 14 says this. You can't believe there's principles all through scripture for all these scenarios, right? It says this, if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. Proverbs 16.8 says this, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Now, it's better not to make that money if you have to make it unjustly is what Proverbs is saying. The writer in Proverbs. Proverbs 21.16, he says this, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. I already told my story where I decided not to lie to the customer. But listen, they can feel that. 
And they can, they can see. And so if we're all about establishing the kingdom where we are, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, et cetera, et cetera, we've got to watch our tongue. And we've got to watch how we do business. And we've got to treat our customers well. Also, look at them as God's creation. How am I serving them? Am I serving them with excellence? Am I, the food that I'm serving them, is it done with love and excellence? The, the service that I'm providing them, how does that come across? Now, concerning co-workers, here's, here's one that might apply. Philippians 2, starting at 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm telling you, there's a principle for everything in Scripture. And so then your co-workers would go, wait a minute. That guy actually cares about his job, but she actually takes a moment to help me as well. And you will change a work culture just like that. I'm going to pause right there and get on a soapbox. Because I have something to say to Berks County. When I, now I know it applies a lot of different places. But I experienced it head on when I went to Denver at this little shop that I was just talking about. And when we got super busy, I had 60 people under me. And we, we, we grew from a company of like 60 employees to like close to 300 within a matter of one and a half to two years. Because we had so many contracts, we were just hiring everybody that breathed. And it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. But a lot of people came from the city of Reading because Arrow International was the, the mother, father company that they had bought some of it out and took some of the medical products over to Denver, which is in Lancaster County. And they said this, we don't want a union shop. Because union, basically, they thought, those owners thought, it kind of destroyed some things. Now, I know union is very important in some, some areas, and it, it fights for the rights of employees until it doesn't, until it becomes a block. And actually, this is what I experienced. And, 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 and so there's a good, if you've ever seen the, the musical Newsies, you understand why unions came into play. Go look at the music. It's the only musical that I'll watch. It's the only musical that I like. But the child labor laws came, came up and the, the union started because of employee abuse. Come on, somebody. So, so go watch Newsies. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a good musical. It's the only musical that I like. You're like, you're like oh, holding your breath going, what's this pastor going to say? Then, then, okay, now back to, back to Denver. And so a lot of folks from Lancaster County, a lot of people that came from Berks County, the Berks County people that came from a union shop would not even so much pick up a broom to help another person. They weren't allowed to because they could have gotten fired. They would never jump on a forklift that they were not allowed to jump on and actually help move product. They would never jump on a line to help anybody else. They would never lift a finger to train anyone or so much as look at other people sometimes because they were afraid of getting fired because the union shop told them that you're stealing the job from someone else and that isn't your job. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Now, you've heard me say why unions came and why they're important, right? And they served a purpose. Until it prevents coworkers from actually working together like a unit. And my boss stood up, and he was from Berks County. Matter of fact, my, my boss was actually from, he lived a couple miles from here in Moton. He said, we're going to break this union mentality, or we're going to move this company further toward Lancaster City. This company will stop. He said, if anybody tries to start a union in this place, we'll shut it down tomorrow, and we're going to relocate. We've already relocated. We'll do it again. We're just renting this facility. I don't care, but this mentality has to break. Why? Because it prevented the coworkers from serving one another well. And when he broke that, you could feel the cohesion come. Now, understand, I don't mean to take your job. I'm not here to take your job, and there's respect for each other's roles. You understand that? But it broke a union mentality that was, in my opinion, way off the charts. And suddenly there was like a family that started working together, training one another. Hey, you hang out with that guy. He'll train you how to do it. You spend time with her and she'll train you how to look through the magnifying glass to, to look at these needles. And we created a whole different environment. Does that make sense to somebody? We should care about the interests of others, according to Philippians. And we can change the workplace culture if we do that. All right. If I stepped on your toes about the union, I apologize. I know why they came into being. Help others prosper. Create win-win outcomes, and you will be blessed <clears throat> as well. Proverbs eleven twenty-five. I'll finish with this. Whoever brings blessing, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Amen and amen. Number five is this. 
don't just survive, thrive. And that's what I was prophesying to this, this young man right here. We're not called to be survivors of the workplace. We're called to be thriving in the workplace. Amen, somebody? Come on. If you were honest, raise your hand if you feel like some days I am just surviving this thing. Yeah, some of you, a lot of you actually, if you're honest. Not every day feels like that, I understand. But you feel like, man, if I can just survive this, there's gotta be something more, right? I lived that way for a while. I like to call it like Joseph, and this is why I want to tell you a story, Joseph. I tell people, polish those prison bars. If it feels like a prison, then polish the bars and make that space spick and span and, and serve that place so that even when you leave that place, and God might not want to keep you there, especially if it's an abusive, uh, abusive culture, but you've left behind elements of they'll never forget you because you changed an atmosphere when you were there. You said good morning to people. You prayed for a few people. You shared the gospel with a few people. You did excellent work, and there's no one that can match your quality because you live with a spirit of excellence because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Come on, some body and then you leave that place even if you have to leave that place and people go man I miss her there was a lady that left my department because you just wanted to switch departments and she you know the other supervisor got here and understood she wanted to grow in her skill and she got on a different department altogether and when I came in on Monday morning it was like all the laughter had gone from the room because she was so joyful and so full of laughter, always cracking jokes, and she had a more cheerful hello than me, and she would win. And she was always, if it could be five in the morning, she was so chipper. I don't actually how she, I don't think this lady ever slept. She was always so on top of her game. And when she left the culture, she took a flavor with her. And I'm like, man, if I could just get her back just for that, it would be amazing. So I was like, okay, step it up, people. I need some jokes in this place. I need some joy. Somebody say joy. joy. You bring a culture, and I'm wondering what culture do you bring? Joseph established a culture of excellence, wisdom, diligence, hard work, and reliability. Uh, he learned to thrive and not just survive. And my biggest question today is, do we? Do you? Do you have that mentality? The Bible's filled with the importance of thriving. Here's just a few. Uses the word flourish instead of thriving, but some uh, translations use the word thriving. Psalm 92, 12, it says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Are you part of the righteous? Well, then there should be a thriving mentality in you that you flourish wherever you are planted. Amen, somebody? Proverbs eleven twenty eight 28 says this, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish or they will thrive like a green leaf. And so before we move on, I just say that's you. That is you. That is who you were called to be and that simply is you. You're in a thriving mentality because the Holy Spirit in you is not a dead and dry branch used for kindling. He is a green leaf. And where you are, where you're planted right now, he's like, I'm going to teach you how to thrive in that place and flourish. And people around you will feel it. And then finally, number six, like, whoo, we got there. Number six, that's it. Share your story. Preach the gospel. When you learn to live out the gospel, then you can share the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. You share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, 11 says this is a good place to start. A lot of people go, well, how do I start? And they, it says this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and get this, by the word of their testimony. That simply means their story. For they love not their lives even unto death. I mean, they told their story. In other words, it looked like I once was blind, but now I see. I once was depressed, but now I'm over, 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 uh, feel, um, I'm overjoyed or something like that. I once was prone to anxiety and fear, and now I have peace in my heart. And let them say, where do you get that from? And why do you function that way? And John 9, 25 says this, and one thing I know, this guy says, that though I was blind and now I see. And that's actually our testimony should be that. What were you before Jesus Christ rescued you from the pit of hell or rescued you from the spirit of the age, rescued you from yourself, right? And you became new in Christ Jesus. And it, without that, what would you be? Identify appropriately, of course. Tell some of your story. Because people are going, what has the gospel done for you? What has Jesus Christ done in your life? And if you're afraid to share that, uh, you know, sometimes when I share my testimony, people just go, oh, dear God. 
As if, as if to say, I can't believe there was sin in your life. Are you kidding me right now? I'm looking at all of you. I'm looking at all of you going, except for Jesus Christ, your lives will be so sin riddled. Thank God for those of you who were born Christians. <laughs> and Jesus followers at birth. <laughs> That's just not my story. But whatever Jesus Christ has done and is doing in your life, share that with someone. That's my encouragement. They want to know what the gospel's doing in you. How has it changed your life? Why would you expect it to change my life if you're not willing to share what it's done in your life? That is the good news of the gospel. I want to tell you a final story. And in this final story, I share the gospel with somebody. And this is one of my favorite. I led a few people to the Lord during, during my career. I wish I could have led hundreds, but it was a few uh, everywhere I went, there was somebody, somebody that needed Jesus. It's the same for you. There was always somebody in every place that you are that needs truth or freedom of some kind or needs the gospel. And there was always somebody that God put on my heart, especially when he changed me to look at it like a mission field. And so I, I hired this one gentleman who, uh, as, a, as an operator. <clears throat> he was originally from the, the country of Malaysia, an Asian country. And so his name is Tan. And so I said... I said, where is Tan? Because he actually didn't show up for work for like two, three days in a row. And that's unusual. He was a very diligent worker, very good and very communicative. I called his house and of course there's no answer. He finally just randomly then shows up, all spick and span, ready to work. The next morning I'm like, where, where were you? I got no call, you know, no nothing. It's so unusual for you. And he said, uh, he said I, I need to talk to you. He got his machine running. He said, I really need to talk to you and tell you what's going on. I said, sure, of course. I, I'd like to know. And I don't want to lose you as an employee, but we can't have you disappearing for a couple of days. It doesn't work for the, for the operation that we're running here. I need these machines operating, right? You put us in a pickle, dude. And so, um, so he comes to me over lunchtime. And I realize this is going to be a longer story. Uh, and he says, look, you know, I'm, I'm a weekend wrestler. He gets into a boxing ring somewhere in Philadelphia, like an actual, you know, MMA fighter kind of stuff. He has a mask on and everything. This is a hobby of his. But this time he got knocked out. He got knocked unconscious. He was hauled to the hospital. And he said he was in the hospital for at least a day or two. And while he was in the hospital, he had a serious out-of-body experience. Now, he's not a Christian. He was raised, in, I believe, in the Hindu culture, right? Uh, Buddhist. Sorry, it was Buddhist. And so while he was in the hospital bed, knocked unconscious... He was having an out-of-body experience where he met Jesus Christ in the spirit realm. He said, how do you know it was Jesus? He said, I have no idea how I know it was Jesus, but that's exactly who it was because he had a white robe on and he grabbed me by the hand and I just knew that his name is Jesus. And he'd heard of Jesus, just had no idea of the gospel whatsoever. I said, what is Jesus telling you? And I'm just now really enthralled with his story. He's like, Jesus told me that my life is about to change dramatically. And then he took me and he threw me all, and he, he flew me all the way around the world. And, and he was going on this elaborate story of all that Jesus told him for like a whole day straight. He was in the spirit realm talking to Jesus, flying around the world with Jesus in the spirit realm, you know, and this is an out-of-body experience. So I, I'm, it's not practical. Does that make sense? And he's flying across the universe and he, he wakes back up. And after Jesus like, like says, you know, I want you to live for me and out with the old, in with the new. There was a whole, whole lot of stuff. And he wakes up and he's instantly healed in the hospital bed. He comes back to life. They take all the machines off of him. And they, they're like, okay, you're, you're out of here. I don't know what happened to you. But so he wakes up. There was no recovery time. That's when he came back to work, right? And I said, so, so then he said, as soon as I told somebody, he told some of his coworkers what had happened. Even before he came back, he's like, when you come back, you need to talk to Vern. He knows about that Jesus stuff. <laughs> I said, man, I never had an experience like you had. But I can tell you that Jesus is after your life. He actually loves you so much. He's, the, he's actually the one who created you in the first place. Would you allow me to set some time aside to just teach you what the gospel is so you have a moment to accept Jesus Christ and what he's asking of you right now? He said, absolutely, anytime. I said, well, right now we got to get back to work. Can I meet you at the diner afterwards? We met at this little diner. It's still there over in Denver. We just, we just hung out for a while. He told me a little bit more of his story. And I said, look, Jesus Christ is coming to you. He was there at your creation. You weren't born by mistake. And he is saying, I want your life. And I want you to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Do you believe that that's what's happening? He said, absolutely. I just don't know how to get there. I said, can we start by a prayer? He's like, what? 
These people don't even know what prayer is. No, not, not Hindu praying. This is not, you don't have to meditate for three hours. This is actually saying a prayer to the God of the universe and inviting the Holy Spirit to come in right here. And he said, absolutely. What does it look like? And so I led him in the prayer of salvation. Jesus Christ, I repent of all my sins. I declare that you are Lord. Fill me, Holy Spirit, just like we do here at Grace Church. I said, how do you feel? He's like, completely different, completely different, completely different, Mr. Vern. I don't know. I don't know. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Completely different. He's like, it's just, he didn't know what to do, right? Because he's feeling something completely otherworldly. Come on, somebody. And I know that's my favorite. And I wish I could have led all of them through that, but there's somebody at your workplace that needs that. And there's some fish about to jump into the boat, <laughs> Because they see you and they see what is in you and what is on you. Come on, it's a grace-based gospel. This is not a workspace gospel. Come on, somebody. When you work too hard for it, it gets a little weird. I mean, I was running through the park the other, uh, walking. I don't run unless a bear's chasing me. But I was walking really fast. <laughs> it's never happened yet. Pastor Ray's like, you will, Vern, you will. <laughs> But I was walking through the park, and there's this guy. I want to give you the opposite just a little bit. This happened to me like two years ago. And some guy just stops me. He's like, do you know that Jesus, he's pointing his finger like in my, do you know that Jesus loves you? I'm like, yes, 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 I do. Yes, yes, I do. He's like, good. And then he preaches a real quick gospel. And then before I could even respond, he's like, walking away. I'm like, you don't, I'm thankful you don't, you don't, thank you. You don't come to Grace Church. Thank you, Lord. You're weird. I'm telling you, you don't be weird to preach the gospel. You live the gospel, and God will open up a door for you through friendship, through connection. And if it is someone in the park, that is great, but it doesn't have to be weird, right? You're saying, hey, there's something here, because I've talked to strangers. I've actually prayed for people at the Dollar Tree. Come on, I've done that. We're at Walmart, and that's okay, but you don't have to be weird to be spiritual. It's a grace-based gospel. There's fish already to jump in the boat. You just have to say, show me, Lord, show me the door. Would you all stand with me this morning? And just like I led Barney, uh, Barney Tan to the Lord, I'm asking you this morning, if there's people here that you're going, man, I don't, I don't even know where to begin, man. I know, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Vern, but I don't know that I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. <clears throat> I would really hate if you left here this morning not knowing that, not knowing where you're gonna spend eternity and just unsure of your eternal salvation. We can be sure. It starts with a prayer. What I'd love for you is just to take a moment, think about it. Let's all close our eyes and give everybody that personal moment that they need to think about that again. And if you're here, I would love for you to just raise your hand and saying, I need to accept Jesus Christ today. Just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. We'll get it launched. Raise your hand high, wherever you are all over this room. I see you. I see you. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else? If there's anyone online, just type it in there. Say, I need Jesus. Let's all pray together for the sake of these. Let's all pray as one. Say, dear Jesus, I commit to you my life. I declare that you are my Lord and you're my Savior. And I repent from all my sins. And I receive your full forgiveness. Now, Holy Spirit, Fill me completely. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's applaud those who said yes to Jesus today. We celebrate you. I want to launch into a ministry time because I really actually believe God is rebirthing and birthing, birthing and rebirthing what I would call workplace evangelists and workplace pastors and workplace uh, prophets, workplace fivefold ministers, just workplace people that know the Lord and want to share God's truth with someone. They're ready to live the truth and to share the truth. And I really want to declare some, some stuff over you because I actually think it's, it, it gets more toxic. It can get more corrupt and more toxic the further we go in some of these places. It's tough to stand out, isn't it? I've been there and it's not easy. You want to fit in, but you don't right and so i just want to declare some stuff over you man if you're here this morning and you're saying i need a relaunch in this area i would love to be rebirthed in this area and to look at the workplace tomorrow morning 
or some of you are going to work today yet, I would like to look at that as a mission field and feel reborn and see it how God sees it. Would you raise your hand and we can pray with you all over this place. You'd like to be reborn in this area to see it differently as God sees it. I'm going to stretch you a little bit. I would love for you to come down front here. I, I just want to pray and prophesy over you. I would love for you if you feel like you can. I know, I'm stretching you. We're going to go right into ministry time today. I really felt strongly as I was preparing for this message a few weeks ago already that there's a rebirthing and a relaunching of workplace ministers, marketplace preachers in this season where God is putting a special anointing upon you to, to know how to declare the gospel in your workplace. God is putting a special anointing on you and strategy and ability to change a culture when you thought it all was lost. It's not all lost. God created these people. None of these people that you work with or work for or work under you, none of them are a mistake. They all just need truth and they all need the gospel message. Amen, somebody. And so I declare with you, if you believe it, receive it. Put your hands in the air and receive a mantle from the Lord right now uh, of a fivefold minister of the gospel in the workplace. God is birthing in some of you a pastoral anointing. Some of you are birthed right now in a prophetic anointing in this place. Some of you are workplace evangelists and you know it. You've just been holding back. I declare be reborn. Be rebirthed and get launched. Get launched. Get launched. Get launched in Jesus' name. Ministry team, if you want to come front a while and just lay hands on these people, that'd be awesome. Whoever's scheduled for today or even others that are on the ministry team, get relaunched and get reborn in Jesus' name. Now, I want to pray for some of you that are in a very toxic workplace culture and you really feel stuck. If that's some of you in the front, raise your hand one more time. If that's your situation, you just feel like you're in a toxic place. Some of you. Okay, good. I want to pray freedom over you. I want to pray that there's a door opening that no man can shut. There is a door opening in the toxic workplace that, that man cannot shut. And, and when God opens a door, that man cannot close it. There's, there's open doors of opportunity coming to you for a career that is also your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Amen and amen. Let's applaud what God is doing. Amen. Good. Good. <clears throat> amen. Thank you guys. Love you guys so much.